Hello and welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. Today I am so excited to share some time and some conversation with my new friend Donna Ross. Donna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm so honored to have this conversation with you. And Donna, you are an Indigenous elder, a consultant, and an educator, um, part Métis, part First Nations, and originally from Saskatchewan. Uh, where are you joining us from this morning? Well, actually, uh, Ben, I'm not too far from you as the crow flies. I'm just uh, uh, east of Calgary, uh, in between Chestermere Lake and Strathmore on an acreage. And we've been out here for the last about 25 years now. So uh, this is home, uh, looking out at the prairie and and the cows across the way. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, That's a beautiful area. So... Donna, how we how we met, um, boy, it's been a little while now. <laughs> we have a video project that we're working on together. And every time that we would hop on Zoom uh, for one of these planning calls, uh, the more I heard about your story and the work that you do, that I kept thinking to myself, I have got to get Donna on the podcast. So here we are at long last. Um, and I just would really love to learn more about your story and to hear a lot of this for the first time as our listeners are hearing it and learning about your story for the first time. But I think where we maybe want to focus our conversation is in the work that you do around reconciliation. So as an educator, as a consultant, uh, you had a seconded position with the province of Alberta for the last several years. Maybe we could start with you sharing a a little bit about what that's been like to go from working in the classroom to this new position that you've held for the last little while. Absolutely. A great place to start. So originally, uh, you know, we as uh, a family, a large extended family too, uh, we always knew that my parent, uh, my mom had uh, attended residential school. She told us at a very young age, I remember her sharing. Um, And as the years um, went by, uh, you know, we started to hear more and more about what that really meant when you went to residential school. And I believe it was um, Chief, uh, Grand Chief Phil Fontaine that came forward with his own journey of um, attending residential school. And his, his statement was, I knew if I had experienced all of this, I knew others and everyone in my classroom had experienced the same thing. So as more and more people started to come forward, uh, my mom was one of the ones that came and, and spoke about her time at residential school. And what that really meant uh, at that time was, um, I guess, a healing and a grieving uh, um, sharing, because it really, uh, as we, we we look at the impacts of and the legacies of residential schools, we were very deeply affected by her own upbringing <clears throat> and my father's as well. And so that is how I came into the journey of reconciliation was uh, if I'm going to do anything in my career as a teacher, and by that time, I, I believe I was like 25 years in as a teacher, I thought I'm going to do it the best way I, I possibly can. And, and it's to honor my mom's time spent at residential school and how, the abuses that they were all um, given on a daily basis. And so for me, it was if I'm going to make a difference as an educator, uh, you know, I, I would like to work in reconciliation and and share her own story, but share our, our efforts moving forward with resources and uh, our um 
e-courses and presentations and just working, you know, grassroots in schools to talk about Indigenous ways of knowing and and cultural um, uh, beliefs and um, spiritualism and and, and the list goes on because there was such a a gap uh, in education for many years uh, with Indigenous perspectives, historical perspectives and treaty education and on and on. So that's where our role came in as a uh, to work in the role of, of reconciliation as a consultant. So I've been doing that since 2016. And I uh, absolutely love my job. I've worked with, I have to say, the highlight of the position has always been working with elders and knowledge keepers. And so I've worked with some, uh, many across the province of Alberta <clears throat> and many down here in, in the Treaty 7 area. Even though I'm Cree and I'm from Treaty 6, uh, I, I find uh, I'm closely more connected to the um, Blackfoot elders in this area and the Sutana and the Stony Nakoda elders that I continue to work with. Uh, and so that is how I came to be uh, working with uh, in, in the role of reconciliation. And what that means for me is I always pose that question whenever I start a, a presentation is, um, you know, let's unpack that first. What does that mean as to the average Canadian? Mm-hmm. Because this isn't just an Indigenous um, or an Aboriginal issue. It affects Canadians from coast to coast to coast. And at one point in time, someone said to me, you know, that's really unfair that you that you pose that question. Like you catch people off guard. <laughs> you would like, oh, wow. <laughs> I uh, was a little caught off guard with that comment. And so I said, well, you know what? That's really a hard uh, uh, um, a question that you pose to me, but I just think how difficult is it for anybody to talk about reconciliation and come out of it in a good way uh, with, you know, being Indigenous and having many Indigenous elders and, and just family trying to live a good life. So to me, it was like, we're not the ones that have to reconcile. And I've been told that many a time through elders what do we have to reconcile this isn't you know our issue that we created we're just trying to live a good life and so I pose that question every time I can and uh, and I get a variety of responses and always good people are very well intentioned they want to do the best that they can in supporting this work and and education is huge um and I know that uh you know no matter where I present um the conversation is rich and very deep and it really deepens their knowledge as well because some people don't really ever think about well what's my role in reconciliation right so it does it's a great uh it's a great uh conversation starter and it gets people thinking wow i've got a lot of work to do or wow i've done tons of work so yeah. uh recently i i presented with uh um a huge school board here just uh west of us and um i worked with the library assistants and there were over 100 of them that came to listen to me speak so i was very flattered and very honored and so we we talk about the role of literature and how that can impact like a ripple effect in the classroom. So uh, I hope that they walked away with lots of great ideas. And I think this, you know, the the sole um, intention of what I do is to share a personal story and to um, weave storytelling in with presentations. I believe that it's a great um, conduit to people's hearts and um, 
and their imaginations as well, you know, and how to reimagine what a better Canada looks like. So that's always my role in when I talk about reconciliation, that we all have to play a role. We all have to have a um, a stance in which we launch from and how you do it is your own personal way. There is no right or wrong way to reconciliation. It's just how can we forward the work in a good way? And, and if you work with any elder, as I have in many uh, different um, capacities, that's the first thing they'll say to you. There's never any heavy feelings of, of you know, guilt or making people feel bad. They just want to work in this way in a good way. And they're so very kind hearted and, uh, and they want to do um, good work and in the work of reconciliation. So that's just the way I try to model mm. what I do. So <clears throat> I love that. Um, and I love that you have that story based approach because I mean, especially in your culture, and I think in all cultures, if you go back far enough, we are, um, we are a story based people, right? We, We used to share stories around the campfire, we used to share stories as a way of keeping knowledge as a way of uh, sharing, um, you know, what plants were safe to eat and, and, and how to survive the winter and like everything that you, that we needed in our societies, in our villages um, to live a good life and to pass on what we've learned to the next generation was, was through story. Absolutely. And it still continues to be that way. If you look at the, um, you know, the area of, of learning from land or land-based learning, that's really uh, the number one foundation through that is through sharing with story. And and so if you go, um, uh, recently I was at Siksika Nation, which is part of the Blackfoot Confederacy, and we were out on the land uh, with a knowledge keeper, and he had such a vast knowledge of his own history, the culture, his people. And so we went down to the river and we sat and we listened to him for about four hours. It could have went longer, but we ran out of time. And uh, his knowledge was based on the water, on the trees, on the grass, you know, the sky, the sky stories. It, It was, it was phenomenal. And, and for me, that is the way to approach learning is through storytelling. And it really captures that, uh, it ho- it's like a big hook. It just hooks you into, wow, this mm. is great, you know. And as you know yourself, Ben, when we worked with Sokokoto uh, at Writing on Stone, his sharing of, of his own knowledge and, and uh, the way his people from the Gaina Nation lived down in that particular area and um, his own storytelling and the weaving of, you know, different ways and how they they flourished as a, a people that to me is is um, the best way to learn mm. i just ask any little you know kindergarten kid or five six year old kid they love stories um i have a little granddaughter that's four and and that's the first thing she tell, asks me when i come over can you tell me a story about and then she'll she'll make something up and so we we just weave stories <laughs> together yeah. uh, just loves them so to me i know that's uh, the way to approach this work is through storytelling <clears throat> in a good way yeah for sure well and that's an indispensable part of being a grandma right being a good grandma you gotta <laughs> you gotta be a good storyteller so <laughs> donna you are exposed to so many rich stories in the fact that you're you're part metis uh you're part cree you're you have roots in uh treaty six territory and treaty seven uh blackfoot 
all of so you have this uh, rich tapestry of indigenous culture and you have this wide cross section of exposure to so many different schools and libraries and elders and and educators um it sounds like like i can't imagine a better person to to speak about truth and reconciliation and to kind of carry that that banner um when when you when you walk into a space where where people are ready to, to, to discuss this important topic and there's people that are holding space for your story, what is a, a personal story that, that you'd like to share or to maybe, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you have a favorite one or something that you <laughs> often will, will open uh, a presentation with that relates to reconciliation for you and your family? Absolutely. I, I think that's a great, uh, great question. I know that when I was with my mother, um, the second time she disclosed with residential school, it was a pretty, um, it was a really hard um, sharing that she shared. And so we, my sisters documented her experiences with the second disclosure, and it was very horrific to a, a five-year-old going in. And so I always start with that, like, why do we continue to need to do this work? Because that's the question we get asked quite often is, when does this end? Uh, when When's reconciliation going to be achieved? <laughs> like, it's just there's some far-out questions. And so for me, I always start with her story and how, how as a five-year-old child going into residential school, uh, it impacted and shaped her life forever. And so I, as a teacher, I was working in a school in Airdrie, <clears throat> and uh, I chose to go up and support my mom at this panel. And so she could uh, ha- uh, have one family member. So I, I'm in Alberta, so I thought I'll go with her. And we were up in Enoch. And I went, met with her, and she had shared with me, you know, well, if you're going to come in, you're going to be exposed to this, this um, testimony, her narrative that had been all written up for her from, from my sisters. And so I said, you know, I'm pretty sure I know what it's going to be about. I, uh, I'll just go in with you regardless. And she's like, no, I want you to read this. And and Ben, I was held hostage in that hotel room. <laughs> and uh, so I read it. And um, I said my goodnights and went across the hall to the other hotel room. And I didn't slip a wink. And it was a story so hard to, to read, knowing that they were all exposed to the same sorts of situations. And so I had to wake up the next day and, and go in to support my mom. And in the end, I never did go into that room because I was I was in shock. And it took me a long time to overcome that shock. So she went in, being my mom, she's such a strong-willed person. She uh, spoke to the panel for five and a half hours about her own experiences of residential school. And it was a tough one because she set up, there were times that um, the federal um, witness, you know, kind of caught her off guard and didn't, did that really happen? And were you really exposed to that? And so there was, you know, a lot of questioning and it, it, that really upset me. And I don't think people realized, you know, what our elders and, and um, our family members were exposed to yet again, right? It was like reopening a wound. Absolutely. And so for my mom, yeah, my mom was uh, 
she just went with it just in stride and never, you know, complained or anything, just said, that's just the way it happened. And I'm sorry if you don't believe me, but that's the truth. And so she left and we had a really good talk. Uh, she was with my cousin and they drove home back to Saskatchewan and we had a really good visit. And then I went back to work on Monday and everyone, you know, knew I was uh, that I closely worked with were asking me, so how did it go? And, uh, and I couldn't even answer. I would just break down in tears and a lump in my throat. And I remember being that way for three weeks in that classroom that I was teaching in and I was teaching social studies 10 20 30 and aboriginal studies 10 20 and and it was a tough tough one to resolve because i had some students in there with very strong beliefs about indigenous people and about residential schools and and a lot of stereotypes and on and on and so i'm thinking wow you know obviously this these conversations start at the dinner table and and they're repeated, you know, where people feel safe. And so I allowed, you know, the students to come in and 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 challenge and to talk. And so I had some interesting perspectives from 16 and 17 year old kids. And I think, wow, is this what you believe to be true? So for me, it was if I can change and shape and open them and have that exposure to really what um, those um narratives of residential school and how reconciliation was going to look moving forward, I had to share truth and it was a hard truth. And, uh, you know, it's not called truth and reconciliation for nothing. And so people still have a hard time with truth. But uh, the students were so receptive. And um, I had one girl before even all this became uh, uh, an issue in, in this particular social 30 class, she had written a paper around residential schools and how she didn't really believe them. And she shared her own perspectives based on her family's um, own narratives. And so I pulled her aside and I said, wow, this is an interesting paper. So tell me where you got your information. Well, my mom and dad and my grandparents said, and and uh, and I said, oh, you know, um, I, I'm sure that I've told you I was indigenous, right? She's like, oh, oh my God, are you? <laughs> I said, yes, I am. And I said, and I'm sure I told you my mom and family went through residential school. And she's like, I don't, I don't recall that. And she goes, oh my God, I just failed your class. I said, no, no, you didn't. But we're going to talk through this and uh, we're going to do some, some really quick learning about hard truth. And uh, she was very, very um, apologetic. And as we went through, um, you know, even some just, and I didn't share much. I just shared, you know, these were the truths and this is what they were exposed to. And she had no idea, you know, as stereotypes go, they only see what they see. And, and so sometimes what you see on the street is the perception that you have and you carry forward. And uh, so the perception was that, you know, that we are lazy, we're all on welfare, we're all, you know, drunks, we're all this, that, and the other thing. And uh, I remember saying to her, well, so if you look at me, I said, do you see that? And she said, well, no. And I said, well, then <laughs> you have those stereotypes, right? So yeah, she had a very rude awakening and was so apologetic and uh, came forward with another paper and we went through it and she did really well with the course and eventually wow. went on post-secondary. But for me, I share that story. I kind of weave it into, you know, my mom's experience. Mm. 
uh, and my own shock that I had to deal with. I know I had PTSD for a long time after she shared. And I thought, imagine her living with that all her years. I only heard bits and pieces of it. And it was enough to throw me off for many, many, many years. And you're receiving all of this information as as a as an adult with the maturity yes. and yep. the the thick skin of being at the age you were at you know yep. which is Absolutely. so distinct from the innocence of a five you said your mom was five years old when she was when she went in. yes yeah wow yep. and it would have, and not yep. knowing not having any idea what she what she was about to be exposed to no. And, you know, they didn't speak any English when they went in. And so I believe it was, um, uh, you know, mostly Cree or sorry, English. And, and there was French because they would be called sauvages constantly used sauvage uh, and uh, constantly told that they were, you know, no good and um, just treated very poorly. And, and my mom said constantly, you know, as we talk about our work and, in, in uh, uh, sharing traditional food stories her food stories were you know constantly being hungry and and she said they would play games where they would um lay out in the field at home and 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 or even in the schoolyard and talk about whose stomach could growl the loudest and I thought oh my god what a horrible story <clears throat> but that's the kind of exposure that they had to endure and so I don't think people realized you know the day-to-day life that they had living at residential school and how hard it was you know mm-hmm. missing your parents and and the loss of family and the loss of culture and uh, unfortunately my mom uh my grandfather my musham who i never uh, met because he had passed long before we came um he would say to them when you come home i don't want to hear that language spoken in this house so um, he had that foresight, you know, to know that uh, they had to retain language. So they mm. would uh, they would get caught speaking English sometimes. My mom said my my uncle Robert would um, run in and tattled on uh, on my sibling on her and her siblings about speaking English <laughs> when they were supposed to be speaking nothing but Cree. So thank God that uh, they were able to retain that. And I really believe yeah. that's what kept my mom's spirit. Um, alive and well but you know she had a lot of grieving and a lot of healing to do and and currently my mom's 81 and my father's gonna be uh, 81 this year as well or 82 and they're in a good place um you know they they've raised uh, a, a big family many many grandchildren many great-grandchildren and uh and so I always have to add that at the end because I think people hear just the negatives and I think you know we don't all live in deficit we've gone on to do wonderful things. And that's really the part of the journey of reconciliation. And, and it needs to be the focus of. Um, and that's why, you know, we need to continue those, those teachings and classrooms about why reconciliation is important, the historical perspectives and uh, the legacies of residential school. And as we talk, you know, the, the discovery of unmarked graves across Canada from coast to coast to coast. So, mm. That's why we need to continue this work in reconciliation. Um, if you ever listen to Justice Marie Sinclair, he says, you know, we're never going to achieve it in this lifetime or my children's lifetime or my grandchildren's lifetime. He said it's probably going to take at least seven generations. 
So we've got a lot of work to do. And mm-hmm. so I think that as the average Canadian um, and, you know, even newcomers to Canada that, you know, they have to learn the history of Canada um, and, and to unpack it. So, yeah, we've we, you know, the work continues to be a strong focal point and and working with Indigenous learners to make them become proud and strong and and resilient as as young people. To me, that's where my next journey in education is going to go. So still reconciliation, but with with different age groups. Right. So you're sharing that your your next um, the next chapter in your story is going to bring you back to the classroom. So this position that you've been working in uh, as a consultant uh, you're stepping back from is that this like right away right this September you're going to be back uh, teaching yes I am yeah and currently I'm still working on a grant so um, I know Ben when I leave you I have to go back and and uh, do some work around um, orange shirt day and beyond is what our grant is and it's again producing resources and um facilitator guides um, and learning guides for educators across province in K to 12. So I'm going to leave that at uh, the end of uh, August and uh, walk into a a learning support role, which I've been a learning support teacher for many, many years and, and uh, have chosen to work in indigenous community again. And I, and I think that the calling is, is that I really feel like I need that part of culture in my life yet again Mm. Uh, I mean it it hasn't left me but now I'm going to be um, part of a culture and even though it's not Cree it's still for me that spiritual side where you go in every day and you smudge and then you hear prayer and then you hear drumming and you hear uh, students and, and children singing an honor song and then you hear indigenous language uh, and they're saying a prayer to the creator and so there's just so many different aspects of working in an indigenous community that you'll never experience working in a non-indigenous school so for me that's really important and that's why I've chosen to step back I know I can work anywhere uh, if I choose, but uh, I just feel a real calling uh, to do a full circle with my teaching mm. career and 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 uh, in indigenous communities. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I know I'll be tired at the end of the day, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I have such a strong um, uh, you know community of of uh, leadership and other classroom teachers around me. Uh, I know that we'll um, support each other and, and do well. And I, I so look forward to it. Uh, I love I love working with children. It's just a passion of mine. So you you just have so much like I every time I speak with you, I just have this feeling of the energy of the, of the wisdom of an elder. But you also have this energy of like this youthful energy. And so I, I'm sure that you'll you'll survive those tiring days and those energetic kids and it sounds like there's also this element that you're excited about where it um, revitalizes your energy and and does energize you to to be to have some of those spiritual practices as part of your day too hey Absolutely. And I think, you know, when I was out there in the spring, every morning, uh, th- this is how they begin the day with drumming. And, um, and then there's boys that drum and then the girls that, that sing in the background, um, and very traditional Blackfoot um, uh, songs and drum songs. So I, I think when I would hear that, 
the heart or the heartbeat of a, uh, or the drama is like the heartbeat. It, it mm. just is such a strong calling. And I'm sure, Ben, that you've been exposed to um, um, traditional powwow music and uh, honor songs, that, that type of thing. But for me, it just, it was like a calling, like I need to come back to it. I hear it you know, throughout the day and, and some of the positions that I have found myself in schools and stuff, but this is like going to be a daily practice. And so that's my, um, that's my real true calling is to go back into that. So that's why I'm looking forward to it. I just see such a, it's such a unique way to, to teach. And it's such a, um, you know, going back to grassroots, uh, teaching traditional ways, with the kids and so they're exposed right. to many different things but you know i talked about land-based learning before and so they go out in the land they you know they're they've planted sweet grass this year in their school and and there's just so many different things that uh, that they're doing and incorporating in their in their everyday teachings and so that's what i want to be a part of that's what we try to promote across the province or all those wonderful things and how to embed them in your day-to-day practices but for me it's going to be every day all day long so i'm looking forward to it wonderful when i think as you're taught as you're sharing um a few times i've been having flashbacks or just different memories of my own like elementary and junior high and high school years in education and thinking about some of the indigenous students and what and their what their experience was in public school in my community growing up in Pinoca, which we're just south of masquachis and a lot of indigenous yeah. students but we, I mean, this was only, I graduated high school in, in the year 2000. So it's been a while. <laughs> I'm aging myself. But when I think of back on my school experience, we learned almost nothing about Indigenous culture and history. We learned nothing about um, residential schools and the damage that was done. We, the, like the students that I went to school with, they they were missing so much of, like when you describe um smudging and drumming and and having prayer and and all of these rich cultural elements uh in in the school system there was none of that in the public school system and and i think still isn't although i mean so i have three kids they are at the very least uh experiencing orange shirt day they're learning about indigenous culture in social studies i think more than maybe i did at their age and so I, I, I look at that and I see like, okay, maybe we're getting somewhere. Maybe we're moving the needle. Maybe we're seeing some improvement, some healing in, in education. Um, of course, you would know way better than, than I would. Are, are, we, are we getting somewhere? Are we at least yeah. Yeah. making some strides? Yeah, I believe that we are. You know, I, I know working uh, at a university um, and a role I'm going to have to step away from, but working with pre-service teachers and um, working at uh, how do we embed this, all this, all these great resources that we've created for the province. And I have to say, Ben, you know, gone are the days where you didn't have enough resources to, to use now there's more there's just like people are almost overwhelmed like where do we start and I always say you start with a really good book literature is the key but working with pre-service teachers part of the our um, teaching quality standard is is TQS5 which is you know bringing foundational knowledge of First Nations Métis and Inuit people into the classroom and my role as a university consultant was to go and observe and and um 
evaluate. So I always honed in on how can you make this, um, how can you bring this teaching in with uh, Indigenous ways of knowing? So uh, the students were well, well um, versed and well trained from the university that we work with. And so they had been exposed to all types of culture and and ways in which to embed it. So I think that we have a great start. It's still, you know, it's hard to say this, in, and I'm, maybe you see it too, but sometimes there's more pushback in a classroom than you can imagine with some teachers that have been around for a long time. Um, and so it's sad, uh, you know, and, and always the question is, why do we have to continue to teach this? And um it's well it's not going away and here's here's a, a good way in which to to teach it so whether it's a video or a book or having an elder in or a knowledge keeper um, or somebody from the community to talk about um, you know just a traditional food or a way of knowing I think is always a great place to start so and we always talk about this work in building relationships and that is key and very um, you know crucial in starting the work is because people will say I don't know how to start and it's like take it one day at a time you know and uh, so as I work with pre-service teachers it's like they're comfortable with forwarding this work. Uh, they're the ones that are going to take leadership roles in this work. So I'm really hopeful and optimistic that that's the way the work is going to, you know, one day make the hugest impact uh, with reconciliation. And you're right, like for so many years, Indigenous um, perspectives and, and just narratives were never in curriculum. So uh, you were lucky if you had an Indigenous teacher, and there aren't many in the province of Alberta. There are, are many that teach on reserve, but not in the public school systems. Mm. So, you know, I was one of a few that worked in, in um, um, you know, the fifth largest school division in, in Alberta, and there weren't many of us. And so our roles were pretty stretched thin in trying to support uh, educators across the division, but it was a role that was very challenging when you had teachers that didn't see the value in it mm. and having indigenous um, voices and creating that ethical space for indigenous ways of knowing. So it is becoming more, more um, it's becoming easier, I guess, nowadays, but it, it was tough for a long time. Let's just put it that way. It was very difficult oh, and challenging. No kidding. And I'm sure, like you said, I'm sure there are still, some faculty and students that will give that pushback and resistance. But I think all of us in our culture are in all of our cultures, not just indigenous culture, but we're, we're all just kind of starting to, th to think more about things like generational trauma where or intergenerational trauma, where things that happened to my parents and their parents do have an impact on me even if those are stories that I haven't heard, right? right? And so those intergenerational traumas and how we heal from those, especially between cultures, let alone within a culture, um, there's a lot of learning to be to be had or to be done still so that we can all do that work. And, and if we have that tunnel vision of thinking, well, okay, that happened a long time ago. I had yeah. nothing to do with this. Right. You know, the the stereotypical counter argument of well, I didn't do this to those people, you know, it was generations ago. 
And so it's just kind of a dusting off your hands and walking away like that. This isn't my problem. We're, mm-hmm. It isn't going to get us anywhere. Um, but I think, I feel like we're, as collectively, we're at least beginning to think of more about intergenerational trauma versus just what mm-hmm. has only happened directly to me and what, you know, wrongs that I've done directly to another person that I'm responsible for. But what is the wider, deeper collective responsibility of the traumas that have been done over generations. And, mm-hmm. and we're seeing that with like the um, residential school graves and, and then the need to, uh, to carry, to resolve these, these stories that have been literally buried for decades. Right. Right. I, um, I agree. I think that there is a, um, you know that it is a beginning and and, you know some school uh schools and school divisions are miles ahead of other schools and uh and do wonderful work and i believe you know if if you if you take the time to invest uh with uh indigenous leads within your school communities you have a better chance of you know um achieving those goals as set out by the province of alberta you know, this isn't just something that we're making up that you need to do. It, it is stated that you need to achieve these um, these goals. And so, um, you know, the goal, I believe it's goal three for uh, that I worked in when I worked in with the, the division was uh, to ensure that, you know, we supported Indigenous learners and that we supported with educate our curriculum. So the work continues to to strive and move forward, but probably not at the pace we would like, right? But <laughs> uh, um, particularly with new curriculum, <laughs> we have, uh, you know, we, we have even more work to do to have that authentic Indigenous voice to be heard. And so the work continues to... Um, to, to move forward and there's so many great great uh things going on across the province you just have to go to a, a first nations metis inuit education conference in edmonton and you can see the work that's being um, forwarded and so always uh you know i'm very fortunate to have been part of that for many many years and, and going back into a classroom i know that um, i will make a big difference um you know in supporting learners and families uh, because I've taught some of their parents. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm at that age where some of them are even becoming grandparents. And I'm like, wow, this is this is incredible. So I um, recently met a young man um, uh, and he came up and introduced himself and I went, oh, nice to meet you. And then he goes, you don't remember me, do you? And I went, I, I don't. And so he told me his name and I I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, this is, uh, you know, not the same young man that I had met in junior high. And so, you know, to come full circle was very, it was very, uh, I was really excited about it. I thought, wow, the impact I must make, <laughs> I, I, you know, I've made throughout the years with students. And as they remember me going, oh, yeah, you were a great teacher. And, uh, and I thought, <laughs> wow, you, you really, um um, you know, giving me, given me a lot to think about and how I can continue to make an impact in a classroom is, is certainly the, you know, the approach I want to continue mm-hmm. to do. So, but, you know, with, with the grant work, I find um, it's very rewarding. Like, uh, you know, we'll, we get to focus on dance and 
sports and um, things like Indian relay races and um, indigenous trailblazers, our youth and uh, honoring our indigenous elders. And so the grant work is wonderful. And at times I'm, I'm going to be very, very sad to walk away from it, but um, I just know it's my time to move forward. But I'm, I'm very fortunate to have been part of that work for many years um, and exposing many teachers across the province to what education for reconciliation really looks like and how we Mm -hmm. can move forward. And I believe, you know, with the unmarked graves, um, you know, that's certainly going to be an area that, you know, it's going to be sensitive and it's going to be a hard truth. But uh, I think with, with the graves that have been uh, discovered, it just continues to you know, be a focus of why reconciliation needs to matter in a classroom moving mm-hmm. forward. And not just, you know, in the next five years, but, you know, for the next 50 years, right? So mm-hmm. I had a teacher recently ask me, so when do you think reconciliation will be achieved? Like, and I thought, wow, you know, such a linear thought pattern, right? It's like <laughs> it's such a European way of looking at yeah, it. Hey? Yeah, here's, you know, here's your five-year plan reconciliation has to be done with you know by the end of it so it's kind of an interesting uh, approach and I remember I, I had a bit of a chuckle and I thought wow talk about let's talk about decolonizing <laughs> right um, you know because as you say that is such a different perspective and um, I think you know as we all heal and continue to grieve and, and our losses and and um, you know, living life in a good way and being positive that maybe it'll be achieved. Who knows? But I think everybody is is achieving at their own personal and their own personal journey. I know from my mom, you know, there are moments where she watches uh, television or catches the news and, and will have a, you know, sit and weep and just cry and go, I just want this to be over with, you know. And I say, imagine having to live with that all of your life. I know when I first um, I first started the position, being a classroom teacher, I had these 10 questions and I thought, I'm going to pose these to my mom. I'm going to interview her and we're going to record. So my mom looks at the questions and, and I really thought long and hard about what I would like my mom to share. And so she looks at the questions and she hands them back to me and she says, how about I talk about my first day of residential school? And at that time, she was 75 years old. And... Um, and I thought, wow. So you remember that? She goes, things like that just never leave you. So she, it was like she was talking about she had attended it, you know, the day before. Uh, such strong, clear memories. So that's how my mom was woven into the work and her her perspective. So she's come a long way. But it really, I think it was like opening um, a can of worms. You know, it was just like how do we how do we uh, uh heal um how do we deal with these you know all these issues that she's had to deal with and now here we are being exposed to them again like i say it's like reopening a wound and mm. so i think for my mom occasionally she does have those moments where she wants to be done with it um but you know that's just who she is she's just moved forward so yeah mm. It's it's not fair that we put um, that we put so much responsibility on victims in our culture to yeah. make things different, right? Like it shouldn't be their job to, but yet there is also so much power in her sharing her story. So that when you have 
people like your mom who are so strong and brave and willing to endure the uh, re-traumatizing themselves by bringing all of this up again and sharing those stories. There's a lot of power in that that gets to, hopefully it brings her some healing. It, I, I think there's a lot of power in that for others to learn, right? And so there's so much value in her doing that, but uh, I, I can't even imagine what she goes through every time she speaks about it. Yeah. And for you and for you yourself, Donna, too, right? Like this is your mom's story. And for you to for you to talk about her that first day for her at school and everything that she went through is bringing in all all of that that you read about in in that hotel room and mm. and felt so impacted by it. it brings all of that back for you as well. Absolutely it does. It's uh just a memory that's, you know, I'm sure very haunting for her and it just never leaves. But um, I think, you know, the more we open and share and talk about it, the easier it becomes. Um, not that it's a normal thing and we want to normalize it, but it's just, it, it just, it is healing to, mm-hmm. to share as much as you can. And I know that I had an uncle who's since passed, but my mom said, even my uncle Robert in his uh, time at residential school, which was just, just horrific. Um, he never grieved. He never healed. And he lived a very destructive life and ended up passing away very, very sadly. And so my mom said, you know, whenever we would talk about residential school and, you know, just some of the funny things she said, because sometimes they were funny as kids, you just try to, you know, cope. Uh, she said he would just get up and leave the room. He just, yeah. he couldn't deal yeah. with it, could not deal with it. So, you know, I, I think of people like him and, and uh, I think, you know, this is the reason why these stories need to be shared and, and restoried. Um, mm-hmm. They, they can never leave. They it has to be, you know, something that we need to continue to share. Um, and I think as our elders get older and and um, you know a lot of them are passing on that, you know, we have the opportunity to capture their stories and continue to share them. And um, you know, there's a lot of um, there could be a lot of positivity coming out of them as well. Like I say, we don't all live in, uh, you know, a negative deficit. There are a lot of good things that have come out. Yeah. Come out. But, you know, I think Ben and, and I worked with an, um, I once sat with a group of elders from, I, they were in Northern Edmonton and I just happened to sit at their table at a, at a conference and they, we talked about residential school and where they attended. And one of them said, we had the best times at residential school. And I was like, you did? <laughs> I've never heard that before. And he said, yeah, our, our residential school was like a day school. So we got, we got to go home at night, which was huge. It's a big difference. He said, but our staff chose to learn Cree. And, and really? so they, yeah, so they could converse with us. And uh, and I thought, wow, that's such a unique story. Uh, I said, do you share that often? And he's like, nope, because that's what people will walk away with. They'll go, see, it wasn't that bad, you know. Mm. You know, because they, they weren't all bad. Or yeah, bad. and that's what, that's what you'll get. People will say that type of, uh, those types of comments. Well, it wasn't all bad. I mean, I even had once somebody, in, you know, family, extended family say to me that, well, they did have a roof over their heads and they did have three oh square meals, three square meals a day is what the comment was. And I was like, 
are you kidding? Like you can't imagine what they ate. And uh, my mom happened to be sitting there as this person said that. And I was, I think my jaw just fell open and I, I was just ready to launch into something. And my mom just said, well, here's what we didn't have at residential school. We didn't have love. We were never shown love and we were abused. So how can you, you know, even justify those kinds of mm-hmm. questions? and just comments that generalize their experience, right? So, mm. so yeah, that was the end of the conversation there. And <laughs> well, yeah. I was so angry at this person. It took me a long time to forgive and, and move on. But I thought, you know what? They speak from, you know, a, a point of ignorance and maybe yeah. they just didn't know, right? And so maybe they didn't hear me talk enough about it, <laughs> you know? But uh, my mom was very, um, she's just so very gracious and uh, would never, you know, launch into some story and make people feel bad and 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 point fingers and lay blame. It was just like, you just have to talk and mm-hmm. and if they choose to believe and and support you that's great and if they don't well that's their problem right so it sounds like she her focus was just on sharing her truth and not making it about um how wrong that person is but just yeah yeah and so you know we talked yeah about residential schools and um you, you know you can't share those types of narratives where there were some good things that happened and maybe there were I don't know but because that's certainly not the experience that I've heard of but um but people will walk away with it like you know you just said that oh oh well, it wasn't all that bad and that's yeah. what they'll focus on, right? and so that's really not the point of residential schools it was it was to assimilate strictly mm-hmm. to a right so you made a get, comment earlier Donna about what what your dad what your mom's father wanted wanted to be he wanted to make sure that people knew that there was no he didn't have a choice could yeah. you could you say more about that sure i i know that my mom's dad um you know as a single parent and she had a large family that you know he just wanted to make sure that they were cared for and so he his point was that um you know, that he wanted to be there. And and so every time they'd have to be picked up or taken to residential school, they'd be all, you know, just crying and devastated and dragged away. And and he would say, if you don't go, I'm going to be thrown in jail. And you, I can't do that to you. Like, I'm your parent. I'm the only parent. And sure, she had a large extended family, but that was the reason why was he, he, he had to go or they had to go or he would be thrown in jail or, you know, rations would be even more rationed. And so in the end, Ben, he actually passed away when she was 12 while she was at residential school and she came home. It was around spring break, I think she said, and, um, and very, you know, occasionally they got to go home, but she said when they went home, her father had passed away and he had passed away about a month before and no one shared that with them. So she said, you know, as a 12 year old child and very, just very casually, she said, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, as an adult, I can't remember, I can't, I could rationalize and even think, uh, you know, if, if a parent of 
passed away and I didn't know, you know, how do you ever get over that as a child? She said, it was one of the hardest things I've ever dealt with. And she said, I'm still, still healing from it. So it just goes to show you her resiliency and the ways in which they tried to just, you know, be, take the Indian out of the, out of the child. So she actually ran away from residential school and lived with family and whoever would take her and her brother in at the time, her younger brother, my uncle that passed. And so they would just go from family member to family member. And that's how they hid. And that's how they never went back. So, wow. yeah, she so had. Was, was, did that happen around that age when her dad passed away at, at age 12 that she, yeah. she fled? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she did. She didn't want to go back and they really had nowhere else to go, you know. And so he would come, you know, there there are many stories she shared too, where he would come at Christmas time and, and you know, was so excited. They were so excited to see him and, and they had winter clothing on. But she said the one time she said it was a brutal cold winter and he came and he had on a thin coat and um, he had walked, I think, you know, as the crow flies she said about 10 miles to the residential school and she said um on the way home she said we had to stop and build a fire three times she said and just sit and warm up because she said we would have froze to death she said we would have froze to death and so we'd have to go and gather wood from wherever and then they would warm up and then they would leave that spot and they'd walk back uh you know further towards the house and then they'd have to build another fire so those kinds of you know situations i think people don't realize you know Mm -hmm. the the extent of of, um how residential school impacted them she said i can just remember my father sitting there just shivering like he she goes i didn't i didn't think we were going to make it home so yeah and she said we were little like we you know we were maybe six seven eight years old at that time and and you know she said I don't know what the temperature was but it was probably like minus 30 minus 35 and walking 10 miles yeah just to get home to be with the family for Christmas with her father so yeah yeah horrible stories like Mm. that yeah and I and I think you just have to read some of the literature that's out there Um, I know that there's um you know the um Chani Wanjek story with uh the Gord Downey Foundation and and that story around uh him freezing to death and on the railroad tracks and so those those websites still continue to produce great resources so I highly recommend that people Look at the uh, Gord Downey Chani Wanjack Foundation and and um, and some of the work that continues to happen. So yeah, there's just um, story after story after story mm. uh, like that, um, and that's why I say my mom's so resilient and such a strong person and and very strong willed. <laughs> you would never <laughs> question her. <laughs> well, I, I would say she's passed on a lot of that to you, Donna. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and my my role, as I believe and have shared that, I just want to make sure that people are aware why this work needs to continue to happen and how mm-hmm. the how it's so important, you know, that we yeah. forward in a good way. So I think having those shared stories that woven in, you know, narratives to presentations and uh, educator to educators across the province really impacts. So I think that's, that's really the approach and the way to do this work is to continue to share those personal stories. Mm. And I know my mom said, you know, if you're going to share, make sure that you always 
uh, talk about my dad and how he had no choice but to send us. So yeah, I always make sure and share that story and, and some of the ways in which they had to survive. Yeah, my, my heart just breaks listening to that. I My oldest is a 12-year-old girl and I think about, you know, everything she's going through in, uh, you know, at that age and just imagining her all of a sudden not having parents like it's just oh yeah and trying to you know not you know hide to not get picked up by the rcmp or you know the indian agent or whoever would come and pick them up and and bring them to residential school so they just hid she said they hid um whenever they were coming to to find them to to send them back so yeah Unbelievable. Some devastating stories. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's so it's so recent, you know, it's not that long ago that these things happened. It's yeah. It's yeah. tempting to want to to like I said earlier, to just write it off as part of the past, not, you know, it wasn't during my time, had I had nothing to do with it. This is it's and it's so it's just not fair to do that. Like this is this is the it's right here in our present day experience yeah. um still for so many so i just man i am so glad that you people like you donna are doing the work that you're doing and when i think about your your story and how you know you have you have years of experience in the classroom working with students one-on-one and and having like a direct impact through relationship with students and then you have these years of experience the last you know five or six years working on different projects and different programs that and working with like teaching teachers right so you're kind of um multiplying your your impact across a wider network uh and impacting so many people but maybe not seeing the individual faces that it's impacting that it must be strange to compare those two and and i don't know which is more personally gratifying for you and and gives Mm -hmm. your spirit and your soul um the most reward but both are so important and so great that you're that you're doing that work yeah i'm looking like i say i'm looking forward to entering into a classroom (laughs) environment again it's very Mm -hmm. rejuvenating i just see the faces and and the need and the want to support and so for me it's so important uh to continue to to educate uh, in a different capacity now but uh i'm looking forward to working with the little people again and i think you know the big draw for me is having little granddaughters uh we i just had my 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 daughter just had her third baby and baby is six weeks weeks old and and uh and just seeing their little faces and thinking wow if i can continue to make a difference then that's what i'm going to do so we're um uh so looking forward to attending a powwow on wednesday uh, at the saddle dome actually it's a huge event oh, wow. uh, stampede so yeah yeah, and then uh, interviewing one of the dancers and and, ta- and really just kind of asking her what did you bring forward to the dance to heal? Because that's what dancing is about. It's bringing your own ceremony uh, in in dancing to heal as a, an Indigenous person. So I look forward to that part of the work still. And I, like I say, I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to be sad, but uh, you know, our legacy is that we have this lovely um, Empowering the Spirit website where educators across, across the province can go in and and uh, and see some of the great resources that we've created um, to support this work and the calls to action and how mm. important the calls 
actions still continue to be, you know, across Canada. And uh, with that, we have, I believe, the call to action is number 80, and it's creating the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. So that's part of the work that we still continue to support. And um, and really now we know it as Orange Shirt Day uh, being it's September 30th. Uh, and why we why we wear orange shirts uh, in our classrooms, but not you know really even further to that everybody across Canada should be wearing an orange shirt day to support um, residential school survivors. And as my mom said, I'm a I'm a thriver too. You know, I I not just survive, but I I thrived as well. So mm. that's huge. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to maybe wrap up this conversation, Donna, and, and I'd love for people to check that out. I actually had looked at the website um, before our call, and you're right, there's just tremendous resources and information there, and that is empoweringthespirit.ca, uh, and I'll, yeah. I'll include that link uh, in the show notes for people to check out as well. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, it's without even meeting your mom, I can tell that she, uh, her strength and courage has allowed her to thrive and to raise an amazing family. And uh, and you're continuing that legacy uh, and sharing her stories and um, and educating so many people about this important important topic. So again, thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you for uh, the invitation and allowing me to share. And I can I look forward to continuing to work with you, Ben. I know we've got another year coming up together with uh, some more work around traditional food stories. So I'm I'm really uh, hoping to to meet again. Our paths will cross. So thank you again, and uh, hi hi, as we say. And um, I uh, I offer you nothing but great blessings. And uh, and feel free to contact. You know, I'm I'm always open if people have questions or want to know further or um, how to approach an elder or building relationships feel free to send an email and um, uh, I don't know if you want to include an email address but um, I have so many actually <laughs> I can a couple of these down uh, but I do uh, I still work for the consortia here in Calgary so it's just dross at crcpd dot ab dot ca and again it's um as an indigenous consultant i still will continue to do some work with the calgary regional consortia but i am uh, winding down as i head into a classroom position for the fall so looking forward to that it's an exciting time for you donna and i wish you a wonderful school year ahead it's going to come up it the summer goes by so quickly hey and uh before you know it we're going to be all doing the back to school thing and and you're going to be doing your own back to school shopping. So uh, oh, yeah. I hope that you have a really great uh, transition into this next chapter in your career and in your, in your work and, um, and wish you the best. So thank you again so much for this time and this rich conversation. Great. Thank you so much, Ben. Take care. And thank you everyone uh, who's listening to this. Uh, thank you for holding space for this important story and for uh, just your listening to Donna's story today. Uh, and I encourage you to come back and check out the Six Ways from Sunday podcast again soon. And until then, take care and be well.